Judges chapter 9, picking up right where we left off, we had last read in Judges about Gideon. We had spent a lot of time about Gideon, and uh, if we were to sum up Gideon's story quickly, uh, just to recap, uh, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. Uh, God called Gideon to be their judge. Uh, He was a little reluctant at first, but eventually uh, he trusted in the Lord. He tore down the altars of the false gods that were there. Uh, It took him a little while still before he really trusted the Lord and was willing to lead the people of Israel against the Midianites. Uh, But eventually uh, Gideon gave in. He trusted the Lord. He gathered up 300 men that the Lord kind of told him to gather up from uh, some strange means as to how they drank water. Uh, And that's how he chose the 300. And Gideon and the 300 uh, came down upon the Midianites. The Midianites woke up in the middle of the night in confusion. Uh, Gideon and those with him begin to drive them out. The Midianites begin to fight amongst themselves, the scripture says. Uh, And ultimately, Gideon calls in some of the other tribes of Israel, uh, and they are hot on their trail. Uh, Ultimately, they are able to uh, kill the the princes of the Midianites. And then ultimately, once they drive them out of the land, uh, Gideon also kills the king of the Midianites. And so that's Gideon's story, a real quick recap of what happened there. Uh, But at the end of Gideon's story, in chapter 8, we have several details. Now, you may not remember them since it's been a few weeks since we concluded in Judges chapter 8. But in Judges chapter 8, starting in verse 30, we have several details about Gideon after these events took place. Now, uh, the land was at peace for 40 years after the time of Gideon, after his deliverance of the people. And it tells us in Judges chapter 8, verse uh, 30, that Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. And so uh, this is a good clue. There's a lot of good clues here, uh, just just in this little part that we just looked at, that are going to be expounded upon here tonight in chapter 9. Now, as we go through chapter 9, there's some good information there to us, but uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the kind of information that maybe we can draw uh, some good parallels or connections to as we can in some scriptures. But even still, when we come to, to passages like uh, chapter 9, there's good things. And then, now, there are things that will speak to us through there, but we'll kind of cover chapter 9 in big chunks And uh, we'll just kind of talk about what's going on there. And uh, there is some good stuff there, but we won't do a verse-by-verse breakdown uh, like we usually do. Now, in all of the judges before Gideon, uh, we pretty much see the judge come in and do what God calls them to do. Uh, The judge leads the people into a peaceful time, and that's really all we hear about. It's off to the next judge. But here in the story of Gideon, uh, we have a little added added here at the end in chapter 9 that talks about not just Gideon, but who came after Gideon. And that was his son Abimelech. Now, we see that mentioned for us here uh, in Judges chapter 8, verse 31, that he had a son named Abimelech. Now, he had 70 sons by his wives, but this one son by his concubine uh, was, was singled out for us. So the writer of Judges here is preparing us for what's coming next, for what's coming in chapter 9 that we're going to look at tonight. He's, he's paving the way with these details uh, that are going to be expounded upon as the story unfolds for us. Now, 
Uh, oddly enough, last week I preached on uh, Psalm 34, just to kind of give us a break. And if you remember, at the beginning of Psalm 34, uh, it may have had a, 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 little, a little title in your Bible that said something about Abimelech. That is not the same Abimelech here. I don't want anybody to be confused. It's just kind of weird that we have two passages two weeks in a row that are both talking about an Abimelech, but these are not the same Abimelech. So if you hear me say that name, we're not talking about the one that David went to and got the showbread last week in that passage. Uh, this is a different Abimelech. This would have been before the time of David. The Abimelech of David in Psalm 34 was a high priest, or was a priest, and the Abimelech that we see here was the son of Gideon. Now, one other thing that you're going to see in Judges 9 is that Gideon is referred to as Jeroboam. Now, you may remember from a few weeks ago that that was a name that was given to Gideon when he stood up against the Baals, when he stood up for the Lord. Uh, he was given the name Jeroboam. And so you may hear me say the name Gideon tonight, even though you, won't, you may not see it in the, in the passage. If you hear me say the name Gideon, well, that applies to Jeroboam. Gideon and Jeroboam are the same person. So, Probably just out of habit, because we're used to Gideon, that's probably the name that I'll say tonight. So, uh, with all of that said, uh, we will pray, and then we will get into Judges 9. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you that we can study your word, and I pray that we learn from it. Dear Lord, there's a lot to to consider in these verses tonight, but help me not to ramble, dear Lord. We can kind of get caught up in the weeds, and I don't want to get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter, but I do want us to be able to understand this word and maybe learn something from it, learn some history from it, and even learn some lessons, dear Lord. There's some good lessons for us in this. Uh, so I pray that as we look at these verses uh, this week and in the weeks to come, as we kind of get some big chunks, help me not to, to ramble, but help me to make sense and to recall the, the things that you put on my mind and my heart. And I pray that you just would let the Holy Spirit use your word uh, to work in our life tonight. And I ask, ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Judges 9, verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, went to his mother's brothers at Shechem and spoke to them and to all his maternal grandfather's clan, saying, Please speak in the presence of all the lords of Shechem. It is better for you that seventy men... Excuse me, is it better for you that 70 men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. So here is the scene that is set for us, and we can already recall some of those things that we just looked at in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 8. We were introduced to Abimelech. We were introduced to the fact that uh, uh, Gideon had 70 sons and Abimelech was the son of his, of his concubine. And here all of these, this information is coming back to us. Even the location where this takes place, the location here is Shechem. Now, if you remember back and uh, in, in kind of in the middle of chapter 8, after Gideon had delivered the people of Israel, they wanted to make uh, Gideon their leader. They wanted Gideon to rule over them. And Gideon said, Neither I nor my sons will rule over you, but the Lord will rule over you. Now, that's good. We didn't talk about that too much, I don't think, when we were in that passage. But that's a good verse, and that's a good thing for us to remember, uh, that we are not to be ruled by a person. We are to be ruled by the Lord. Uh, oftentimes, I think it's natural for us as human beings 
that sometimes we really want to look for a leader. We want somebody that's going to rule over us. We want somebody that's going to lead us. We, we have a tendency to kind of want to cling to people or, or, or put people up and, and let them lead us and follow them. And we have to be careful when we do that uh, because people don't always lead good. Uh, some people are seeking those leadership roles where they can be in control and be in authority and be rulers. And, and other people are seeking to put people as rulers. Uh, but we must be careful. And Gideon realized that. He didn't want to rule over the people. Uh, he wanted to make sure that God was ruling over the people and that the people knew that God was ruling over the people. And that's something that we need to be reminded of uh, ourselves. We, we have presidents on our land, and while they may be good presidents or sometimes bad presidents, they're never going to solve all of our problems. We should never seek uh, for our president to be the answer to all of our problems. We should seek for the Lord to be the one who is in authority. And the Lord puts those on this earth in authority and in leadership. Uh, but the people that God puts in authority are not our saviors. It is the Lord himself who is our saviors. And the same could be said of churches. Uh, we, we, don't, we should never want our pastors to be the one who rule over us, nor should as pastors we want to be ruling over the people in that way. It is the Lord who is our ruler. It is the Lord who you guys should seek to rule over and lead us as a church. It is the Lord who I, as the pastor, should seek uh, to rule over and lead us as a church. And so we shouldn't seek those uh, positions and that honor for ourselves. And Gideon did not. Even though the Lord had used him in a mighty way, he told the people, don't focus on me, focus on the Lord. And Gideon had said, look, not me nor my son will rule over you. But obviously Abimelech didn't have the same heart as Gideon because Abimelech saw an opportunity here that he could, could, could go into power. Now, obviously the people at this time still were probably fond of Gideon and all that he had done. And so Abimelech, uh, he uses that to his advantage here. And it says that Abimelech went to his mother's brothers at Shechem and spoke to them, uh, and to all his maternal grandfather's clan. So he went to everybody in Shechem that was on his mom's side of the family. And he said, look, here's the deal. You need somebody to rule over you, and wouldn't it be better if you just had one ruler instead of 70? Wouldn't it be better instead of all of Gideon's son ruling over you? What if it was just me? Wouldn't that be a better deal? And so he goes to his mother's side of the family, and he tries to convince them. He says, look, I'm your own flesh and blood. So he's already beginning to work this plan into place. Let's read a little further. Verse 3, let's see what the people's response was to, his, uh, to what he was proposing to them. His mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the presence of all the lords of Shechem, and they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. Now, they liked what he had to say here. He spoke these words. They said, all right, this sounds like a good idea to have one person who's going to be our ruler, to have one person who is going to lead us. And so they are listening to what he says. Now, it says here in my translation uh, that he, uh, he did this uh, to all the lords of Shechem. Now, some of your translations uh, may say men of Shechem or they may say uh, leadership of, of Shechem. I think probably what's 
best for us to understand maybe as to who these people were, maybe leadership, those who were in authority, those who were leaders. Uh, even though technically speaking, the more literal translation is correct there in that they were called lords. Uh, but the word for Lord there is Baal, which is the same word that we see a lot in this passage. And so uh, he was not speaking to lords or gods or false gods here. He was speaking to mere men, but they were men who would have been probably in a leadership role. They were the men who would have had some, some authority, who would have had the people's ear. So if he can convince these leaders of Shechem to follow him, uh, then things were probably going to work out good for him. And indeed, he had convinced these men or these lords or these leaders of Shechem. Now, Shechem up to this point in the Bible is a place that is mentioned quite frequently. Uh, there are a couple of, of main passages in the book of uh, Genesis in particular. Uh, we see uh, something horrible happen uh, at Shechem to Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Uh, she is raped by Shechem, the one who this town is named after. And so we see even all the way back in Genesis chapter 34 that there's this tension there between Shechem uh, and his family and between Jacob, that is the Israelites, uh, eventually Jacob's family. We see this tension that goes on. Now I'll let you read Genesis 34 for yourself and read that story. It's a, it's a pretty rough story, so be prepared when you read it. But even back that far in Genesis, we see this tension uh, between the Israelites and between Shechem. Now, some of these people that are being addressed here that are in Shechem are probably Israelites because what was the problem throughout all of Judges? It was that the Israelites had not driven out or destroyed those who were in the land. They were intermarrying with them, and there were problems that were going on as a result of that. So no doubt these tensions uh, probably, at least in some way, were remembered even from way back then. Uh, the people of Shechem were probably, well, no doubt, were not good people who were in the land, but yet here are the Israelites who, in the midst of all that's gone on, have continued this process and repeated it, the process of turning from the Lord to these false gods. And so uh, we see these mentions of Shechem uh, even up to this point in Scripture. That is where Jacob purchased some land. We also see that in the book of Genesis. And if you remember from the book of Joshua, you may not remember that far back, but when Joshua was buried, he requested that his bones be taken back and buried at Shechem, at the land that Jacob bought. So this area, this land of Shechem, Shechem being a descendant of Hamar, who was his father. You'll see that, that name mentioned as we go through. Uh, that's what that means when it says Hamar, it's Shechem's father. So these mentions of Shechem, we've seen these things all throughout Scripture. So there is uh, some, some references to that, and so you may see that name uh, as you read through. And I wanted to give you just a little history and background uh, to the person Shechem and to some of the importance of that land. All right, so Abimelech is able to convince these leaders that he is their brother, and so they find what he says to be good. So in verse 4, So they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple of baal Berith. Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men with this money, and they followed him. 
So they go along with what he says and they give him some money to fund his efforts as he's going to begin his political campaign, if we can call it that. And they give him 70 pieces of silver and it says that that comes from the temple of Baal Bereth. Now, Baal means Lord. Uh, sometimes we see uh, the term used as we saw in Mark a few weeks ago, Beelzebul, which means Lord of the flies or Lord of the house, depending on which way you translate it. Here we see uh, Baal Barith. Now, Barith here means cov excuse me, <coughs> covenant. So when it says Baal Barith, it means Lord of the covenant here. Now, I'm not sure exactly what all that means, and I've tried to understand what kind of covenant maybe it was talking about, but I don't know that there's really enough detail there for us to see that. Now, we know that the Lord, God, made covenants with Israel, but we don't have any real evidence that these false gods made any kind of covenants with the people. So whatever covenant it's referring to here, maybe it's some kind of covenant that the people who had abandoned the Lord thought that this false god had made with them. Or maybe it's just a way for the author to say, okay, the people who are God's people, who should be following the Lord, are in, instead in covenant with a false god. And at the very least, that is true. Now, whether that's the point that the author's trying to get a, a, across to us here, I'm not too sure. But that's what that term means when we see Baal Barith there. And so the point being is that the people of Shechem were worshiping a false god, and they were in some kind of covenant relationship with him, which means they were not following the Lord. That is Yahweh, the only one true God. And so when Abimelech gets these monies, he gives them to worthless and reckless men, and let's see what they do with them going forward. Verse 5, He went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed his 70 brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, survived because he hid himself. Then all the lords of Shechem and of Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar of Shechem. So Abimelech decides to solve the problem so he doesn't have any issues with his 70 brothers by killing them. Now, it appears as though this was a, a planned out thing because it says that all 70 were killed at a large stone or on a large stone, which means they were probably all together in the same place. Now, whether this happened all at once or whether this happened over a period of time, the scripture reads as though they were all killed in the same place. So they didn't just go hunt them down and kill them on the spot. Uh, this would have taken some effort to gather up these 70 sons of Gideon. And they did just that, and Abimelech put them to death. Now, whether there's some significance to the 70 pieces of silver received, I don't know. It's possible that we could say, well, there were 70 sons and there was one piece of silver and Abimelech used that money to pay these reckless and worthless men uh, one piece of silver for each son that was captured and killed. That may be what happened, although the text doesn't tell us. That's just uh, something to consider. Uh, I don't know if there's any significance to the 70 pieces of silver or not, or maybe it's just a coincidence that there were 70 pieces of silver and 70 sons. Uh, so they uh, gathered together and they made Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar of Shechem. Again, it's really hard to know exactly what that means. Uh, some have said, some commentators say this pillar that's being talked about would have been a pillar that may have, may have been a spot where the people of Shechem came and worshipped uh, the Baals. They came to worship their God there. 
And the fact that it says at the oak of the pillar of Shechem means that there was an oak tree there. Now, we see that sometimes in Scripture, the oaks of this place or the oak of that place. And it's likely that this is just a descriptive word. Whatever this pillar was for, wherever it was at, uh, there was an oak tree there, and that's the place that they converged to make Abimelech king. Now, this idea of the people uh, wanting to make somebody king is an idea that we see repeated later on in Scripture. Because the people uh, in 1 Samuel uh, were begging for a king. They, were, they wanted a king. They said they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. And so God ultimately granted their request, and the first king that God gave to them was King Saul. And so this idea of the people wanting somebody to rule and lead them uh, is, is something that we see throughout Scripture. The problem is, as we see here with Abimelech and, and also with Saul, is that all the kings that they had were not all good kings. They were not all good leaders. Uh, and so they need to be careful what they ask for. And that's what we're about to see uh, in the coming verses. Verse 7. When they told Jotham, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim, raised his voice, and called to them. Now, Jotham, as we saw a few verses earlier, was the youngest son of Gideon, and he escaped. Uh, he was not killed. He was able to hide, and he was able to get away. And he was about to speak some words uh, that were ultimately going to, to prove to be uh, come true in, in the form of a condemnation and destruction of Abimelech. Now this is kind of weird, the language he uses, but we'll read through it and I'll tell you what I think it could mean uh, or give you at least uh, something to consider. Uh, let's continue on in verse 7, about halfway through verse 7. Listen to me, lords of Shechem, and may God listen to you. The trees set out to anoint a king over themselves. They said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I stop giving my olive oil that honors both God and man and rule over the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, Come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I stop giving my sweetness and my good fruit and rule over trees? Later the tree said to the grapevine, Come and reign over us. But the grapevine said to them, Should I stop giving my wine? that cheers both God and man and rule over trees. Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, Come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If you really are anointing me as king over you, come and find refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, that's kind of some strange language, and sometimes we see kind of some strange language here. But I think that what Jotham is doing here is he's using an illustration with these trees to help make a connection to show what kind of state that the people of Shechem are in. Now, they continue to ask these different types of trees, would you come lead us? Which leads me to think that it's possibly showing the heart of the people. They were determined they were going to have somebody to rule over them and lead over them even though Gideon had already told them, look, it's not for me to rule over you, nor for my sons to rule over you. Let the Lord rule over you. Even though they had been told that, even though they should have listened to that, it appears as though they were determined to get somebody to rule over them. That may be the point that Jotham is making here. 
He starts with the, uh, with the first tree, with the olive tree, and the olive tree rejects, and it seems as though, now I'm not an expert on trees, but it seems as though maybe the quality or the, or the grandness of the tree that's being called upon kind of dwindles down from greater to lesser as it goes. There's definitely a great difference between the first couple of trees and the bramble that's mentioned at the bottom. And perhaps he's making an illustration here. They wanted a good king. They were going for this king and that king, and they didn't have a king. Maybe the first one there refers to Gideon, who was a, a good godly man, who was righteous to the Lord, and they wanted him to be king, and he wouldn't be king. And they continued to seek a king, and finally they got down as about as low as they could go, and they went to the bramble, and they said, Bramble, would you be our king? Now, a bramble definition is that a bramble is any rough, tangled, and prickly shrub. So that's not really as grand and as useful as an olive tree. Uh, most of us aren't saying, boy, I wish I had more, more thick bush, th th uh, thick uh, prickly shrubs in my yard. We don't really want that because that's not very useful. And that may be the very point that Jotham was making here. They were determined they were going to get a king. They didn't care how bad or how useful he would be. They wanted to have a king. And Jotham goes on to say that the response of the bramble bush here uh, says, look, all right, if I'm going to rule over you, if you really are anointing me as king over you, come and find refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, thankfully, Jotham kind of explains what he's saying here for us in the verses to come. In verse 16, Now, if you have acted faithfully and honestly in making king Abimelech king, if you have done well by Jeroboam and his family, and if you have rewarded him appropriately for what he did, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian. And now you have attacked my father's house today, killed his seventy sons on top of a large stone, and made Abimelech the son of his slave king over the lords of Shechem, because he is your brother." If then you have acted faithfully and honestly with Jeroboam and his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech, and may he also rejoice in you. So, Jotham is saying, all right, you have made a choice. You folks have heard what Abimelech has said, and if this is good for you, if Abimelech is the king that the Lord wants you to have, then rejoice in Abimelech and be glad that he is your king, and come to him and let all be well, as the bramble bush said. If, I, if you're going to anoint me king, then come to me and be in my shade. Come, come find comfort and security in me is basically what he's saying. And that's what Jotham says here. All right, you've made Abimelech your king. You've made your choice. If this is of God, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be good. Now, don't forget what you've done. You've killed the sons of Gideon, who was a good man, who was a righteous man, who served the Lord and gave everything he could for you, even risk his life. Don't forget what you've done. You've, you've, you've killed his sons because this man Abimelech, he says, is your brother. You've listened to what he's had, he's had to say. You've taken him in his family. And because of that, you're going to follow what he has to say. And if he is of God, then this will be a good thing for you. And so be it. But if he's not, let's see what, what he says going for, further in verse 20. But if not, may fire come from Abimelech and consume the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo, and may fire come from the lords of Shechem and Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, 
escaping to Beer and lived there because of his brother Abimelech. So, he says, if this is of God, if this is supposed to be this way, then go to Abimelech and let all be well. But if this is not of God and it's not supposed to be that way, then may Abimelech destroy you and may you destroy Abimelech. That's kind of paraphrasing what he's saying there. And so what we are going to see next week is that the latter is going to come true, is that this was not an appointment by God. God did not appoint Abimelech king, and the people of Shechem made a rash decision. By listening to the, the spiel that Abimelech had to make, they, they took him in, they believed him, they let him get his way, they let him murder all of the sons of Gideon, and that was not what God intended for them to do. And Jotham said, look, if this is not of God, here's what's going to happen. The leader's going to be bad for you, and you're going to be bad for the leader. Now, I would say that the same is probably true in our world today. Sometimes people may be bound and determined to have a certain leader, whether it be somebody in the church or whether it be our president or some elected official, sometimes we are bound and determined. This is the person that we are going to put in leadership. This is the person we want to lead us. And sometimes we may not spend as much time or thought about it, and we may end up putting the wrong person into a position of power. And when that happens, uh, sometimes we suffer the same consequences that took place here. Because what happens when we have bad leadership? Well, it makes it tough on, on us. Uh, in whatever situation that leadership may be, if there's bad leadership, boy, it's going to lead to bad problems that may be hard times for us and whatever it is that's going on. On the flip side of it, uh, when we have a leader we don't like, what do we often do? Well, we want to make it hard on the leader. Well, let's, let's try to do something to the leader to make them look bad, uh, to try to get on to them, to try to give them hard times. And so what happens is the leader is hard on the people, the people are hard on the leader, and that is no good for anybody that's involved. This is good instruction for us to consider in anything that we have to do where we have to consider someone being in a leadership position. And we want to let God appoint those leaders, and we want to make sure that we feel that God has appointed that man or that woman in whatever position it may be, so that we don't have this same uh, situation, that we're not smooth-talked by somebody like Abimelech, who comes promising good things, and we listen to those things, uh, and then they ultimately lead to our destruction and to their destruction. And here in uh, uh, Shechem, uh, they, they were fooled by what Abimelech told them. And as a result of that, uh, they're going to experience hard times to come. But let us uh, be careful that we don't fall into the same trap. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these words. And it's a lot to, to consider and take in. And I pray that you help us just to, uh, just to keep these words in our mind and uh, remember these things, dear Lord, and let us... Seek you above all, dear Lord, that you would be the Lord of our life, that we don't try to make any one or anything else the Lord in our life, dear, dear God. And I pray that we can learn from the mistakes of, uh, of the people here of Shechem. And I pray that we can be faithful to, uh, to seek and look for the leaders that you want to put in power both in our government and in our churches. And God, whatever it may be, you, you call and you prepare certain men and women to do uh, the right job, and I pray that you would help us to be faithful to uh, to stand by those that should be in office and to stand up to those maybe that shouldn't, dear Lord, in a in a loving and kind way. And I pray, God, that you just would uh, bless these words that we read and uh, keep them tucked in our heart and let us remember them if the time should come that we need to use them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.